guys on a learning journey and we're excited to have you along for the ride uh and just so we're clear we're both called mark that's correct uh join us each week we'll lean into a new marketing concept to uncover a new piece of the puzzle on today's episode we'll be looking into the world of creative uh and what strategies and concepts we can use to think about when we're judging good creative work as marketers yes indeed uh so um before we start just to just to um just to set this up we I want to be clear, we think there's a big difference between judging art and judging creative. So there's oftentimes um, we can think that we're in an art gallery uh, judging creative work that an awesome agency has done. Um, and some of the same principles definitely apply, but um, we do have a different framework that we're going to set up for judging creative specifically. Yeah, so when we're talking about creative and design for marketing purposes, we're really talking about any piece of content that is created to be received by the human senses to elicit a response that results in a purchase or sale of your product or, or service. And I think that's where it's the difference between art and, and creative may be. Or even though people might buy paintings, um, the purpose of the painting isn't to get you to buy something else. Yeah, exactly. So there, there can be assets, materials, and experiences um, that come up. They can come up in the forms of perhaps they can be packaging, uh, they could be bus shelter ads, they could be a TV ad, uh, they could be GIF uh, we both love a GIF. Oh, yeah. Is it, it GIF or GIF? <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's, it's been debated <laughs> since the Stone Age. So um, I think technically it's GIF now, but um, uh, I think we're still going to go with GIF at times. Yeah, no, I think you just got to read the room, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so oftentimes as marketers, as brand managers and also product managers, um, we, uh, refer, uh, we work on what the industry would refer to as the client side. Uh, which means that we'd be a client that pays a creative agency to come up and design some amazing creative work. Um, this means that if you're on the client side, you often need to be in a position to be able to judge this awesome creative work and <laughs> feel like you're adding some value and understand uh, what's going on in, in the room as well. Um, so because this can be a relatively subjective exercise to know what creative is good and what creative is bad, uh, we're going to talk through some basic frameworks um, and some different thought processes and mental models uh, you could use when deciding whether you need another round of amends or if you want to approve the next Khan Award winner. Exactly. Or if you want to scrap it completely, um, <laughs> I think is important as well. Um, yeah, I think you're right. We've all been in the room where something's presented and we don't really know how to assess it uh, yeah. in, in a way. I mean, it's so subjective, right? So yeah. it's hard to have a criteria. So hopefully today what we can do is, is sort of give some judgment criteria that you can use as well as um, some ways that you can start to think more deeply about creative and should help you sort of assess those ideas. Yeah. Um, but starting from the, the absolute top, uh, <laughs> what I thought it'd be interesting to do is, is to dive into some of the, the psychology um, theories Ooh. behind visual perception uh, and how our brains interpret what we see because I think that having an understanding of that even at a very basic level um, can help us to then go and judge creative. Uh, so there's two theories I'm going to talk about, uh, and I'm no psychologist, so bear with me. Uh, but there's, there's top-down theory. So top-down theory states that while your eyes see 100% of what you look at physically, 90% of what they see is lost in translation to your brain, mm. which is kind of a scary thought. Yeah. Um, so therefore, your brain actually makes up the gaps by using past experiences. Uh, and this is why we see things like optical illusions. 
so if you look at something and this maybe Google this um, called the Necker cube, um, it, it's a cube that's like a 3D um, drawn cube. And if you look at it, it starts to flip like what side you're seeing it from, if you know what I mean, or what side it's angling towards. Yeah. And that's your brain sort of not sure of what's going on and not sure which way it should be. So it's just filling in the gaps and showing you and it's flicking between mm. the two. Um, there's another one if you go on YouTube uh, and you type in the Charlie Chaplin mask video. This mm. one blew my mind. It's, it's a mask of Charlie Chaplin's face and you see it from the front like a face and then it's turning on like a pedestal slowly, like one of those cars in a showroom. Mm. Um, and as it goes round to the back, what what you're actually seeing, what your eyes are seeing is like the inside of a mask. So like a backwards face pointing inwards. Mm. But what happens is as it turns past you, your brain can't comprehend that it's seeing a backwards inside out face. And it actually looks like it's a forward facing face again, even though mm. what you're seeing is not that at all. Um, so this is, this is a couple of examples of that top down theory and how your brain fills in the gaps. Um, then there's, I guess, a competing theory, which is bottom up theory. So this is looking at the more physical reasons for the interpretation of what we see. And, and this theory points to things like light rays and the brightness of what you're seeing, which your brain then knows automatically how to interpret and give you a picture um, of what you see in your mind's eye. Um, so I think that's probably more of one that relies on the fact that you were born with, I guess, a perception of, of what things are visually and your brain is able to do that without learning, whereas the first theory is more about you've learnt to sort of interpret things and this is what your brain tells you you see you're seeing therefore different people can sometimes see different things regardless of which theory we subscribe to i think there's truth in both and i think that we just need to be really cognizant that people are sometimes filling the gaps especially in a really cluttered advertising world so we need to use that when we're judging things to make sure that what we're putting forward can't be misinterpreted and there's also something that people actually see and it doesn't get lost yeah definitely I think that um, leads into some of the mental models which we're thinking about that we can use to develop mm. um, uh, in conjunction with these theories and, and the environment that we view these ads. Um, so we've, we've come up with a, with a four-step um, process to think about judging creative in a framework. Um, so the first one would be to understand the objective of the creative. Um, so being really clear on, you know, when you're uh, commissioning a piece of creative, is, are the objectives short-term or are they long-term? Is it about talking about a specific thing in a specific point in time to drive a specific sales result? Or is it about a long-term conversation that's going to seed and set up a campaign in the future? Um, it's another thing that's also important to consider is, is, is the piece of creative reminding someone about a brand or is it actually introducing a new brand? Mm. Is it already um, an element um, of understanding of, of who your brand is and all the messaging is, or do you already have to play that role of introducing who you are to start with as well? Mm. Uh, the second uh, key pr uh, principle in, in this framework that we can use is the environmental context. So that would be really understanding where this piece of creating, uh, creative will be seen. So as we we're mentioning before, like in from social media creative perspective, we know how cluttered um, that world and that realm is and mm. the types of attention spans that people have in that world. So. Unfortunately, a piece of long-form creative is probably not going to be best um, within that world when you're scrolling through your newsfeed really fast. You're probably going to need something that's going to catch your eye um, and resonate within milliseconds, yeah. <laughs> considering our, our brain's processing. Um, and also, um, on the flip side, in the physical world, if it's a piece of packaging, understanding where that packaging is actually going to live. 
If you're an e-commerce brand that only sells online, understand the different e-commerce marketplaces that um, your product images will be seen in the way that they'll actually translate online versus in the physical world, if you're going to be putting it on a shelf or in a store somewhere, um, how that packaging is going to be seen in that environment, whether a lot of people have a lot of space and time to observe the packaging like they would in mm. an art gallery or if it's in kind of like a, like a bin style thing where it's, where it's not really laid out very well. There's lots of other brands. There's lots of other um, competing visual signals. Um, so from that, we understand that the, the message within that will always need to be very clear and single-minded regardless of the environmental context. Um, and the, la uh, the, the third uh, key framework we've come up with is also the societal context. So when you are putting this piece of creative in the world, um, does it speak to something that is relevant and current to society? Mm. So the cool thing about this relating to the world of art is that all art, um, whether it's literature, film, or, or paintings, will always come from a place of um, speaking to a, a specific point in time. So it's important that our creative also does that as well and is also relevant. Um, and the last piece will be, uh, if, is, there, is there a gut feel? Yeah. <laughs> and, and does it have an element of, of reality? So understanding that you know, if you go through all these really rational um, modes of assessing the creative at the end of the day do you still feel really passionate about yeah. it <laughs> i think that's a really big one is like you could go through these steps or whatever frameworks you come across and you could use those to assess a creative and go well it must be right it sort of ticks all the boxes but yeah. there's always that 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 gut feel which i think is really important is like do i actually like it like do i think people yeah. are going to talk about it and I think the, the coolest thing about the gut feel is that oftentimes, you know, having a gut feel and, and going with an instinctual piece can almost seem like a primitive approach mm. to, to designing a strategy. But I think uh, talking about the top-down and bottom-down things, which we spoke about earlier, understanding that our brains are really intelligent and crazy uh, um, computers at the end of the mm. day, that gut feel is a result or a byproduct of that. So yeah. oftentimes there's probably biological wiring that's going on that's helping us get to that gut feel. And it's probably great um, uh, reasons for that intuition as well. Yeah, exactly. And we're also talking about um, impacting people's emotions and getting an emotional yeah. response. And that's always, not always, I guess, very logical. So sometimes the logical approach doesn't get you a creative, which people are going to deep down resonate with. Um, so I think it's a really good framework that you've got there. I, I think, you know, you talked about environmental context and whether it's at the shelf or if it's in like a Facebook feed and, and how that differs. I think there's some really like, good points that we can raise there so at the shelf something i've noticed is that a lot of packaging you see at the shelf in a supermarket it doesn't really stand out to you necessarily there but then when you bring it home you realize that it's really beautiful packaging and someone spent a lot of time and i think it's it's a really great point to raise that often if you create some packaging artwork and it looks really good on your computer uh, one of the things you really need to do is test it and take it down to a shelf and see what it looks yeah. like amongst the environment that, that it's in because often it can get really lost. Um, it, it's almost like uh, <clears throat> we've talked about uh, Amazon before, how your name of your product is really important when, when, it, when it comes to search and what might be a really beautiful brand name that's perfectly curated uh, may not work particularly well in that environment of, of, um, of search in Amazon and, and you're actually better off putting like the functional benefits of the product and the pack size as, as the product name. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it comes back to understanding the humans that are going to be interacting with the medium and where your creator is going to be seen. Um, and for example, if we also take into consideration things like bus shelter ads, oftentimes within a bus shelter ad, we can't have lots of text 
um, because if you consider the environment, the people are going to be driving at at least a minimum of 40 kilometres an hour past a bus shelter ad. Um, if they if you're moving f- at least 40 kilometres past um, something, you're not going to be able to register a lot of meaning quickly, um, which is why having really simple messaging in those types of ads and creative will be really important, um, as well as having uh, making sure that all the visual sim- symbols are very clear as well. Mm. So personally, you and I have also o- often talked about our personal philosophy when it comes to cursive writing and text and fonts within creative. Um, And this would be a really good example of why it'd be good to avoid cursive fonts at a bus shelter ad. It's probably a lot more difficult to to capture some beautiful font and some beautiful um, cursive writing when you're moving at 40 to 50 kilometers an hour. Mm. However, if you're just assessing that creative on your laptop screen or in a boardroom or in a printout, by itself you might it might look amazing and it might yeah. be really beautiful in that context yeah and i think it also comes yeah to that single-minded message as well so using that environmental context then is the message really clear and you can pick it up in a second in that context um a great example of maybe or not a good example of this was i was driving on the highway doing 100 mm. kilometers as a as a sort of safe driver would yeah. um in that zone and uh, there was an ad for a it was for a like roadside safety company. It might have been NRMA or something yeah. like that. And what they'd done is put up this huge billboard that had quite a lot of text in it, and it had a fake road sign on it. And it was like 10 kilometres Sydney, 1,400 kilometres, and then it like made up a fake town name. Mm. And, and then it had a line underneath which said, um, when you're tired, it's easy to um, not notice things or something like that, which mm. was trying to illustrate that they'd put something funny there. Did you realise it was wrong? And I was just thinking... I mean, that's just super dangerous. I had to really concentrate hard yeah. on that billboard as I was approaching it at 100 kilometers an hour. They would have been best off to use as many visuals as possible to just elicit that response for me without having to look for too long. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's a really great point. I think I'm really glad that you drove safely. Yeah, I'm fine, <laughs> by the way. Just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that um, your car, you, you your car and, and um, yourself are also in good health. But yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> These types of details are really important to consider um, when we are looking at piece of creative because um, understanding the context can, A, lead to some pretty cool and creative ideas, but also can mean that you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money investing in a beautiful piece of creative that goes great in a PowerPoint deck, but unfortunately is not going to tie back to the first and most important piece of the framework, which is the objective. Mm. And as most things, if the objective is to drive sales and to drive awareness, uh, you might be missing out on a great opportunity to do that if you are going with something that's strictly aesthetically pleasing or you're judging it in the wrong environmental context. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think there was a, the, you talked, you just said that there was, um, you can actually use the context to, to be quite creative in itself. Yeah. Uh, a, like classic example, I've seen this a million times, but I was behind a bus the other day mm. and on the back of the bus it said, stop driving too closely and go buy a burrito at Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, and had then like a beautiful picture of a delicious burrito. I was yeah. like, that's pretty cool because it, it speaks really to the format that it's in. You couldn't put that anywhere else. But also, when I'm driving, I might be thinking about having a stop, um, and you know, and getting something to eat. So that's a really good message. I wonder whether they could then target bus routes that we that go past Mad Max stores. Maybe that's that next level of sort of precision marketing. Yeah, you'd hope so. Or hopefully, there's people on the bus that are handing out samples because um, I know that's definitely a bus I want to be a part of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least tapping my Opal card to write in. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a great idea. So um, considering uh, this framework and, and these different techniques, we thought we'd talk through a campaign that we found quite inspiring that we think that is the gold standard when it comes to a lot of these metrics in the modern marketing world. 
Um, and that is uh, Spotify's annual Wrapped campaign. Mm. So every year, um, Spotify does an amazing job um, at uh, creating a year in review where they um, combine the two great worlds of new marketing, old marketing, where they get their amazing wealth of uh, consumer user data and they translate that to outdoor or traditional media and talk about um, their users' listening habits over the year. Um, so we think this is a really great example of having a really clear objective um, of communicating uh, this great understanding of the environmental context where the ads are going to be displayed um, and also having messaging that is really genuine and culturally mm. relevant that makes you want to talk about it with your friends, that makes you laugh when you're seeing it yourself and also makes you want to nerd out about it on a, pod, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the, the fantastic thing that this uh, campaign does is, that, um, is when it takes the user's data, it communicates the role that uh, Spotify plays in modern pop culture and also in listeners' lives. So by using all of this data and by showing these insights of what people are using, uh, listening to, they kind of cement in Spotify as your one-spot stop for pop culture and just being culturally relevant. Mm. Um, so some of the great examples of the outdoor, really clear billboards that they put up in really prominent locations around the world with really clear fonts um, and really great colours that stood out in a busy urban environment mm. were um, that in 2018, five seconds of summer were streamed over a billion times this year. That's 5,847 years of summer. Ice block. <laughs> and one of our favourites was um, Peking Duck's Fire was streamed over 22 million times this year. Lit. <laughs> I, I really love this campaign. And, and there's some great examples of, of how they used it to like really localise as well yeah. in the community. So they, there was one example in... It was like in Brooklyn, uh, mm. in, in New York. And it was... They used a wall, like a, a mm. disused wall on the side of a building, and they painted their their outdoor. And it was it was like the they just pretty much stated what the most streamed song in that local community area yeah. was. And because it was considered that that was quite a like rough and like hardy area of mm. town, it was something like Justin Bieber. Is it too late to say I'm sorry or, yeah. or whatever? Um, and it was just like super engaging, super fun, but also just so relevant for the people that lived there, right? And I think the reason like, we get really excited about this campaign um, is that kind of in the new world of marketing where we do have big data, it's using big data to create really relevant and culturally relevant messages, which in the past would have been quite an inspired approach. Like it's hard, it would have been more difficult to do it from a research perspective mm. or maybe a scientific perspective because we just had less data to work off. So you had to rely on an individual's creative, personal, past experience mm. and insights where the great thing about this is they were able to start with the data, look at the habits, and then use the, all the wonderful, unique creatives to actually um, draw insights from that data um, to speak to, to hyper-targeting areas. So, um, and also do that in a way with traditional media, which is also really, really cool yeah. as well. I think also what they did really well was that, that it was well integrated together. Like You could tell, tell it was a Spotify campaign. <clears throat> excuse, excuse me. Um, and you could also tell their tone of voice which didn't mm. change so it was always that sort of like quite funny but quite serious mm. um balance i think like another example was um to to, to the people who listen to post malone's rock star mm. 15,000 times over the, 
um, at Cannes during the film festival, Get Over Yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I thought was, like, they, they really know that tone that they're going for. And you could tell straight away, like, it didn't even have to say Spotify. Yeah. It just had the colours, it had the same font of text, and it had that tone of voice. Mm. But it was obvious. And and that the visual colours and design typography of it are so important as well. Because considering the fact they did this predominantly in an outdoor environment, you have to remember that if we go back to the, the principle of the environmental context... Oftentimes, people aren't actually actively searching to engage with any ads in the outdoor space. Um, you're just accidentally looking around and you might see some pretty colours and maybe choose mm. to read it if you choose so to not look elsewhere. So the fact that they were able to be, have those instantly recognisable visuals that are branded as Spotify, but also that, are, that stand out in a quite an aesthetically pleasing but clear way in a cluttered environment um, means that they were able to have this awesome impact mm. as well. Another great way... Um, the thing we love about this uh, is that once people engage with the campaign through um, the creative in their paid advertising world, um, they also integrate it internally with the specific with, uh, within their specific user platform. So the great thing is that um, users were then also able to access their own personalized rap playlist, um, along with a taste breakers playlist of music that they generally wouldn't listen to. So I think the thing I loved about this campaign is that seeing these bus shelter ads and why maybe while I was listening to Spotify and opening my app and seeing my personal user mm. habits, it let me feel like I was part of this really big community. Yeah. It was cool to see that, okay, everyone else has done this in my area. What, what are my quirky listening habits and what do they say about yeah. me? I think um, it's telling, isn't it? Like if yeah. you talk to a friend, you're like, what were your, what were your most played songs of 2018? Yeah. Um, it really makes you wonder whether you should be friends with that person. <laughs> I think after you see that, um, but you know, in, in the spirit of transparency, yeah. uh, Mark, I, I want to tell you that my number one song that was played in 2018 yeah. uh, was by Paul Kelly. Yep. Uh, From St. Kilda to King's Cross. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't it? I didn't expect that that would be no. my, my most played, but it, but it was. And that's, that's the awesome thing about big data and this yeah. campaign is that it has full of surprises. Um, because my number one top played song in 2018 was White Sand by The Migos featuring Travis Scott, Ty Dollar Sign and Big Sean. So clearly was um, bumping that in the, in the car yeah. <laughs> quite a lot driving around. Um, it was closely followed by God's Plan by Drake and then uh, wrapped up with If It Feels Good Then It Must Be by Leon Bridges, which looking back, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you that off the top of my head that that would have been in my top yeah. three. However, in hindsight and listening back to that song, I realized that I have done some amazing amounts of cleaning um, <laughs> and dancing simultaneously while listening to that song. So I think um, my apartment uh, and my earbuds are, are grateful for Leon. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. It almost reveals like a, like a side to you or, or a preference in taste that you didn't recognize yourself. Like, as we said, we didn't yeah. expect those songs to be the number one. But actually, when we weren't thinking about it, those were the songs that we were choosing to listen to. Um, my top three, just to round it out for you as well, was uh, number two was Strangers by The Kinks. Wow. Um, I think I was on a real, like, Darjeeling Limited thing at the yeah. time, um, and that was in that movie. Uh, and then third was actually Congratulations by Post Malone. Nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what that was about. It was but, a year uh, of celebration. <laughs> was, yeah, really, you know, yeah, I'd say eclectic mix of songs in my, my 2018 playlist. And I think um, the great thing about this campaign is when we, you know, we talk about virality um, and the fact that you want to talk about it with your friends mm. and also that it's a, you know, it gives us a great gut feel, it gives us a great emotional feeling to see and engage in this campaign, mm. um, that you can really talk about it with your friends um, and that having that mechanic makes that really easy and accessible. And you can share um, your playlist as well with your friends. So maybe after this we should do a swap. 
um, and uh, <laughs> listen, got, to each yeah, yeah. listen to each other's most top played songs. <laughs> like a day in the life sort of thing, walking yeah. each other's shoes. Yeah, that's, that's the modern way of doing it. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. Um, okay, so that was uh, environmental context. Uh, you also mentioned as one of the, uh, I guess, principles for assessing uh, creative was the societal context. Mm. So what's happening at the time um, and, and does it sort of fit in that right time or date. So I think we've all probably had that experience of where there's an ad which is about like a Christmas sale or something on TV or radio and it's like, quick, get in before Christmas. And then they haven't actually ended the ad on Christmas. So then yeah. on Boxing Day, you turn on the radio or something and it says, you know, quick, get in before Christmas. Yeah. And, and that, I guess that sort of that context, that timing of what's happening in society, which is Christmas time, mm. uh, just doesn't make sense. And it sort of makes you wonder like, wow, that, that's really dumb that, you know, it just seems like a really big miss. Um, so there's that, but then there's also taking advantage of what's happening in society. Mm. So really jumping onto a, a topic or issue that's relevant for what you're trying to do, like what your objective is, is still really important, but is also um, sort of talkable at the same time. So my example here, one of the favorite things I saw in the last few months was, I don't know if you remember, but McDonald's, uh, they, they sort of got sued for their right over the use of the Merck phrase mm. uh and and they they said that they were the only company that were allowed to use it but then it was proven by another fledgling chain in in the uk that they hadn't been using it properly mm. i don't know the details but all i know was that then other people were able to start advertising and using the muck phrase mm. um so this the, these guys in the uk opened a restaurant called something with a muck in it but then hungry jacks got onto it straight away um, and the, the GM of the, the Hungry Jack's business in Scandinavia set up a campaign where he changed all of his menu boards in the stores um, to be like, you know, this burger is like a McChicken but better. Mm. Or um, like the, the Flame Grill Whopper is like a Big Mac on steroids or, yeah. or whatever it was. And, and I thought it was, it was so clever because it was obviously hugely sort of talkable at the time. People were talking about it. But also their objective of proving that their, be their burgers are better than McDonald's burgers was was so integral into that, and then mm. they used like a bunch of outdoor and things like that. Um, so I thought that was a great context, uh, a great example of using that societal context to to create a cool campaign and creative. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, you know, th there's there's coming back to you know understanding what the objective of your creative is as well is that if it is to um, if the objective of the creative is to help a specific point in time where your sales might be dipping. Um, just because of seasonality and you know that comes up every year, perhaps that's an awesome time to look into a campaign that is very short term and that does use something that's very specific and talkable at that mm. specific time to help bolster your sales. Um, however, the double-edged sword of that is that if you do go down the route of a campaign and you focus a lot of your budget within the year on a campaign that is talking about a specific point in time, mm. you run the risk of needing to only run that media for that specific period so for example if you had a, if you had a ad that you put on a bus shelter um, or a bus itself and you knew that that bus uh, might not be changing the wrapping or the actual ad itself on that bus as uh, as planned so they might leave it on for a mm. bit longer than you think um, you might run the risk of like damaging some of your brand credibility if you're still running a campaign around June and speaking about something that's specific to June, but the ad's still up in around October, that, and that's mm. something out of your control. So it's those little pieces that's really important to, to take into consideration as yeah. well. You've got to be careful. I think as well, if you're, if you're focusing on a specific moment and it's a bit of a tactical play around something that's happening at, at a specific time, you need to also remember that 
you don't want it to be misattributed to another brand. So it still mm. needs to sound like it's coming from your brand, even if it's a small part of your broader campaign. Mm. Um, so for example, the Hungry Jacks thing probably only ran for a month or less, but mm. it, it really tied into their idea of the burgers are better at Hungry Jacks. Mm. So it, it's still laddered up and people would still see that and know it's a Hungry Jacks ad. Um, whereas if you do a tactical play and creatively you don't tie that into your into your brand completely, it might be misattributed and people might not know that that was a you know Hungry Jack's ad and then just think, oh, it's just another burger chain making fun, but I don't know which one. Yeah, definitely. And I think a really actionable way to, um, when you're judging the creative before you're activating it to kind of help mitigate that risk is to really try and put yourself in the shoes of the person that's going to be viewing your ad and try to put themselves in that context. So... You know, if you are judging a piece of social media content or a Facebook post that's going to be put out, literally try and get onto your couch and maybe even physically get into your pajamas uh, um, and try and scroll through your newsfeed and see if you can um, imagine what that ad would look like when you're in that real context. Um, or if it, it is a piece of packaging, you know, try and really in your daily shop or, or your weekly shop, go in and, and really try and put yourself in, in the shoes of the person that's going to be looking at that piece of packaging either the supermarket or the sporting goods store or wherever your, st- uh, your product might be displayed. Mm. Yeah, or on your website. Make yeah. sure that it fits in with, with your website's look and feel and that it stands out. Uh, yeah, totally agree. I, I think the, the closer you can get to your consumer, the better when it comes to this stuff. Um, I think there's a great feature actually on Facebook, which is when you put a, an ad up, mm. you can have it sort of go through your personal feed mm. for, before you actually put spend behind it when it goes live. So I think it's a great example but take it to that next stage as you said and go lie down on the couch and just be flicking through normally yeah because i think that uh when it comes to judging for creative that sometimes you can get amazingly creative ideas um that are really uh have an awesome uh storytelling component however if you don't uh put yourself in the shoes of the person that's going to be seeing it in context and really being honest with that they might not be engaging with that story. They might not have the attention span mm. to be thinking about that story and therefore they might not have an opportunity to really engage with your brand as opposed to if you have those really strong branding cues from the first second to the 30th, um, at least even if they're not maybe not engaged with the story, you're still getting a return on investment on them being aware that you've put an ad out and yeah. being reminded of your brand. Yeah, totally. It, it is. And again, it goes back to the environmental context. If it's, if it's social media and people aren't going to maybe watch your whole video first of all make a shorter video or asset but um second yeah maybe you get your brand up the front instead of waiting till the end like a normal tv ad you you, you have your brand first so as they scroll by it they might at least see your brand yeah definitely i think um burning off that like um we personally both have a few just very specific tips and tricks that we like to th- think what we were thinking about when it comes to judging good creative um uh, one of mine I mentioned before is uh, really trying to dress myself in the in the in in the way in which someone that will be viewing um, the ad or the piece of creative w- would be. Um, I think another uh, another framework that I like to use as well is that if I'm looking at a piece of um, creative, is thinking about if my um, if my grandparents would be able to understand it mm. and would they be able to understand it within the first kind of five seconds as well. I think it's really important to do. You know, would they understand um, the message that I'm trying to convey? And that would just be to, to solve the, the problem of um, trying to speak to an objectable third party mm. who has no 
kind of say or, or bias within how a piece of creative will be perceived and ensuring that they also understand what the, what the group direct message is. Yeah, exactly. It's catering to that, you know, that consumer who knows nothing about you. Do, do, do they still get the message? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the more people you can show it to, obviously quite tactfully because, you know, you don't want your creative yeah. idea to get out of course. Uh, leaked um, before your campaign. But yeah, the more people you can show it to who don't have a, a vested interest in your product or brand, um, the better to get that feedback. Um, yeah, I, there's, there's heaps of tips and tricks around this stuff. And I, I think the point here is that we've sort of set up a criteria you can use to judge, but this probably takes it to that next level of here's some tips and things that maybe your creative agency or the pe person who you're creative has used and mm. you can start to just understand a little yeah. bit more. So when you're judging that creative, you can give feedback in a language that makes sense to them. Mm. Um, so th there's quite a few here. I think um, the big one for me is uh, the use of color and what actually different colors mean. Mm. Um, because I think that it's, it's, again, it's that very emotional thing that sometimes when you see specific colors, you sort of might have an emotional response to it, but you might not ever analyze that. And I pulled up this color chart I found online, which shows like the sort of the colors of the rainbow. And then it gives you examples of brands that use those colors. And then it tells you what those colors mean. And you can actually start to draw some pretty interesting insights about mm. why they chose those colors. I think some brands maybe didn't think about it, mm. um, but a lot of them, it, it, it makes sense. So for example, if you've got yellow, um, so it's like, it's a warm color um, and, it, and it really stands for optimism mm. is what these guys say. So interestingly, there's things like McDonald's in there. Mm. So quite warm, quite approachable, quite optimistic and fun. Um, you've got uh, Ferrari in there. You've got Shell mm. Petrol. Um, mm. So interesting that they would choose those colors. And then if you go down into orange, you've got like friendly. So you've got Nickelodeon Fanta. Uh, in there so again I think that makes a lot of sense I mean yeah. Fanta's orange anyway but yeah. <laughs> uh, but but they might have thought about this but when you get into red this is where it gets interesting for me so red is bold and exciting and within red you also have McDonald's right because McDonald's have yellow and red uh, but you've got Coca-Cola, Nintendo, Lego, Toyota, Canon um, so heaps of brands here that have used red to really stand out and be bold and be exciting um, but the list goes on. Some other interesting points are that there's also brands that tend to like pull lots of colors together. Mm. Um, so examples of that would be like Google or mm. Microsoft or eBay. They've used like big, bright colors, yeah. but lots of it. Um, and that tends to stand for inclusiveness. Mm. So they're brands that sort of want everyone to use their product or mm. everyone to use their store, um, which, which I thought is quite smart. And I've never thought about until I saw this color chart. Yeah, I think the interesting point about that as well is that um, two things. One, on the use of primary colors. So the primary colors being quite like bold and bright um, and being quite recognizable kind of in any medium. Um, but the other other point to that would be that we know that, you know, colors go through different trends as well throughout mm. the years. So you could be using a color um, that might be, out, you know, on its way out as a trend. Like an example of that for us at the moment, um, at the time of recording this podcast, could be rose gold. Um, you know, rose gold, rose gold was a color trend that came about um, a couple of years ago, um, and if, you, if you're using it quite a lot now, it might seem a little bit outdated. An easy sense check or a way to, to think about um, whether you're using trends or on color is to use um, the Pantone guide mm. and also just keep an eye out as a marketer of what is the Pantone color of the year, mm. the, the year that you're thinking about operating your campaign. Um, it's a really awesome and inspiring um, way to. To, um, to think about your use of colour, ensuring that you're, you're staying on brand and on trend. Um, 
Uh, so, so personally, that's one of their things to do every New Year's resolution as a marketer is to, is to whip out the Pantone book, um, but also to, to get to do, get right? yeah, yeah. With every first yeah. of January, <laughs> just getting so out my Pantone swatches, yeah. Um, but also, um, yeah, getting yeah, that notification to make sure you know what the colour of the year of that is. Uh, another point and perspective on that is that um, if you're speaking with your agency, just from an empathy perspective, if you have a specific colour in your in mind. Um, having access to any Pantone resources means that you can communicate what colors you're thinking of really clearly mm. by giving them a code and giving them a number and just being one team, one dream and helping them out um, yeah. in a way to get your vision across. Totally agree. I think the more sort of technical you can be and the, the language that you speak with them is the same as their language, the yeah. better because you're working together. Do you, have you ever come across a particular Pantone color that you, you like? Can you remember any? Yeah, it was... Um, a twenty. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna um, put it out there just because yeah. I was looking at this the other day. Yeah. The cool grey area. The, yeah. I think there's like fourteen cool greys. Yeah. Um, but around cool grey seven. Yeah. Real nice. I think um, the, the, there's a there's a violet colour. It's a Pantone colour of the year for this year. And like, I think that when I first saw it in the beginning of the year, I like just I didn't really believe it, and I started questioning like. Pantone's authenticity in this space is like, oh, purple? Are you kidding? And then lo and behold, a it's just grown on me quite a lot. Mm. Um, it's so striking, but also really seeing it start to come through in different um, in different creative design elements. Like, I went to Zara the other day, and you can see that they're coming up with some amazing different shades of purple and violet. So. Um, yeah, hats off to Pantone. We love them. Yeah, well, my color emotion guide says that purple is creative, imaginative, and wise. Ooh. Mm. So that's that's what it's representing this what, year. What, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a great year. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So really interesting. I, I've yeah. got quite a few other tips and tricks to get yeah. through here, so let, let's crack on. Um, one of the ones I want to talk about, because I know that you came across this as well, is the rule of thirds. Yeah. So... This is, um, I guess the best way to describe this would be if you put uh, lines on, on your creative, uh, if it's a visual creative, mm. um, so you put like two vertical lines and then two horizontal lines, all at equal increments, yeah. you sort of get, you put your page into thirds, both vertically and, and horizontally. Um, and what this does is it just shows you that if you place the, the, the way you want the eye to go along those lines, and the intersection of those lines, usually you get um, an image which is, I guess, the most pleasing to the eye and, and the, the most sort of uh, drawing of the eye and, and gives you the most attention. Mm, definitely. I think a really easy way to do that as well is to use your um, your camera phone, your phone on your camera. So you can, there's a setting um, in most uh, photo apps which lets you put the grid mm. on your on your camera. That's so exactly if you, if you, yeah, yeah, if you, you want to just take a photo um, of your piece of creative, I've done this before, um, and therefore you can look at it through this grid um, and see which part of the grid it falls into to, to draw the eye. So um, personal favorite is uh, bottom left. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say that because I've got one example of, of an ad uh, campaign. This has been going on for years, this campaign, that does it really well when you put the grid over it, uh, which is Corona, you know, from where you'd rather be, yeah. uh, where you see the yeah. like, beautiful beaches and then the Corona bottle. And if you put the grid over it, um, literally you get the Corona bottle sits on the, the left hand vertical line mm. with the corona branding on the bottle in that bottom left um joining line um and then they've put the text on the right hand side on the corresponding vertical line mm. in the same position as where the brand is on the bottom left mm. so you you sort of don't think about it until you put the grid over it and then yeah. you just start seeing this all the time and it's just that natural 
positioning for your eyes. Yeah, definitely. It's also a, um, just a personal plug. It's a great uh, thing to use in your personal Instagram photos as well. So <laughs> if, you're no, if you're wondering when you look at different Instagram feeds, you go, how did they get so creative? <laughs> They're probably just exploring the rule of thirds. <laughs> the rule of thirds. Um, so speaking of Instagram, uh, other ways that you can sort of make sure you grab attention uh, when people look at your creative is uh, using a familiar face. So some studies have been done that show that if you use a human face, especially in like a thumbnail of a video, so people are going to scroll past and maybe they're not going to watch your video, but they see a face in it, um, they're more likely to actually then watch it if, than if you didn't have a photo. So maybe you just have your product or your mm -hmm. brand. So something to think about and maybe with the Instagram, I know it's quite popular for people to do that sort of looking away pose. Mm. I've, I've seen quite a lot, um, but maybe they should be showing their face. Who knows? Maybe um, you need to stop taking candid photos of me, Mark, and um, take. <laughs> we should start taking some amazing portraits instead. <laughs> as a good creative, I'm doing as my client asks. Yes, thank you. <laughs> my five followers, thank you. Um, one other one I came across as well. So thinking back to the rule of thirds, yeah, and you might have your, I guess, your focal points that you get out of your rule of thirds, where you want the eye to end up. Uh, a technique that uh, a lot of people use, a lot of creatives use to get your eye to that that spot, that focal point is vectors. So vectors is when you, it's a technique that uses lines within an imagery to make your eye travel along that line in a certain pathway. So I've got an example in front of me, I'll, I'll paint you a word picture. Um, so you've got vitamin water. Now Ooh. vitamin water is rule of thirds, the big bottle that they want you to see is on that left hand vertical line that you'd see on your camera if you put it up then they've got like all of the other variants of vitamin water all the other flavors and they're sort of like blurred like a trail behind it getting smaller and smaller mm. into the distance and as soon as you look at it you look at the trail and your eye goes along the trail to the big in focus bottle on the left hand side mm. so that that's an example of how you can use vectors to instead of just putting it on that, that focal point and, and hoping that people look there because that's the, the place where people most want to look, actually mm. make sure they look there by giving them a trail to follow. Yeah, very cool. Very great tip. Mm. Nice one. Um, well, I think one of the, as marketers, we are often always looking to, ways to become more creative. I think it's one of the things we always want to, oh, especially on the client side, want to find a way mm. to upskill. But um, it's, it's hard to find the creative equivalent of doing like, extra push-ups every day to exercise your creativity to upskill in it it's, mm. it can be difficult to find tangible ways to train yourself in that so one of the things i think is really important is to make sure that you're engaging different creative mediums um throughout your days um and making sure that you are keeping informed with really inspiring content because if you're consuming creative content chances are you have a better sense of empathy to be able to a relate with the creative content you're judging and b also empathize with creative people as well um, and make sure that you're working together to deliver the best possible result. So some of the um, resources that we um, find interesting that we, we go through, um, one of them for me, I'm really finding a, a podcast called Clever, really inspiring lately. It's actually a podcast about design, um, and the two co-hosts are really, really accessible, um, and the topics they cover are really inspiring, really clear, and it makes me feel like I'm part of a little bit of a creative community, so great plug for an another podcast. Nice. Um, another podcast as well I'd like to, love to plug is a podcast by NPR called the Pop Culture Happy Hour. 
So it's one of my favorite podcasts I've listened to many, many years. And I find these hosts is like incredibly knowledgeable about what you should be watching, what you should be reading, what you should be listening to. And I almost have a separate notes folder in my phone that when they do recommend certain mediums mm. um, on the podcast that I write it down, I try to listen or consume it later because they're a great almost cultural or creative directory for new content to mm. consume. That's going to be quite time relevant as well. Um, another uh, piece of content that I'm really enjoying at the moment is uh, David Attenborough's Our Planet. I oh, think it's really so hard. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think the new Netflix series, it's hard to um, not sit there and be mesmerized by the magic of flamingos um, and then not feel <laughs> inspired and, and creative in, mm. in any form. So um, absolutely loving that. And uh, another piece as well that I'm, I, I'm really passionate about, which I spoke on the podcast before, is Studio Ghibli. So love Studio Ghibli and all the films that they make. Um, and specifically, would love to shout out uh, Princess Mononoke, Spirit Away, and Howl's Moving Castle. Um, there's three films to, to think about con, uh, consuming. I think that, that animation as a medium is something that is so unique, and the way that they do it through different uh, angles and music and storytelling is so in-depth, and is almost the gold class of uh, mm. amazing creative. I, I agree. Like Fantastic animation really sort of like takes you out of your world and you're just engrossed in it. Um, the way I like to think of this sort of, you know, sharpening the saw type stuff is probably uh, two things. I, I kind of want to trick my mind a little bit. Yeah. So I have the, like the, I guess the more like uh, non-fiction learning, uh, mm. absorbing type type things. Like you spoke about a couple of podcasts there that I try and use to get myself in the zone and really knuckle down and be like, I, mm. I need to learn this. I need to be up to date. And then I also like to have the other side, which is like the, the lose yourself, mm. fun, optimistic, Fluid. you know, exactly like your Studio Ghibli stuff. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I really like to purposely pull myself in between those two quite frequently mm. to make sure that my mind is almost in this middle point of like learning, knuckling down, but then also optimistically in the future mm. and all the great cool stuff we could do. And that's the, I guess, probably the more creative left brain side. Mm. Um, so for me, uh, I guess the, the probably the best way that I do this is the books that I read. So mm. I am trying to now switch, like I read one book, which will be uh, nonfiction learning. Uh, like an example of that would be like, you know, reading The Seven Habits yeah. or, or reading Zero to One or something like that. And then straight away flick into another book, uh, which is fiction and just to sort of lose myself in that. So uh, I read this week a book, a classic by John Le Carre, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. <laughs> nice. that was my that was creative perfect. that was my yeah. creative build <laughs> should work in an agency yeah. um, so so that that's an example or you know i after i read zero to one i then read um long way down which is about yeah. motorcycle travel um or jack kerouac's on the road um so that that's what i'm trying to do a, a few other plugs i guess uh um, listening to music as well so music i guess sits very much more on mm. the left brain but if i want to sort of like be wowed and think uh, I, I listen to like classical music and, and jazz some Miles Davis some Oscar Peterson mm. that kind of thing whereas if I want to like get stuff done I'll put on some like Kanye and you know just like awesome get on the grind or some Post Malone so, some, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some Post Malone congratulations I told you that in <laughs> 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 
so so yeah whereas i use podcasts yeah. more for like the, the the right brain stuff like learning um the other thing i'd add to what you said is is i guess physical activity as well like yeah. keeping myself sharp getting the, the blood pumping and flowing and it's often a good time just to think and, and reflect um so i always made sure that i try to ride my bike to work as much as possible and then you know have that cold shower when i get to work and then my brain's sort of firing um throughout the day um, even making sure going swimming as often as possible and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Like sometimes, um, like we've spoken about my uh, recent love of lap swimming on the pod um, this year and, and um, there's a goal I'm trying to work towards this year. And sometimes I, I like to actually write down a problem that I'm trying to solve um, before I go swimming um, and like physically write it down on a piece of paper, maybe put it at the edge of the pool um, or at, at home if I'm running down to the beach and then go for a swim, do my laps, get that endorphin rush, think about it in the context of swimming laps. Um, and then come home and try to solve the problem with that new perspective. I always find that it, yeah, it relieves a lot of tension. And oftentimes through exercise and you know, being healthy, that natural endorphin rush mm. can help uh, some of that inspired thinking to solve problems from a new perspective. Totally. Um, one other thing I did recently, yeah. so I just want to share it as well, is is just disconnecting. Yeah. Um, so I think that we spoke about putting yourself in the consumer's shoes as much as possible and, the, and who's going to view your creative. I think as well, though, taking yourself out of that world completely both your work world and the creative world and also the consumers world and just getting out into the bush just turning your phone off you know and it almost just resets you that when you come back and you start reviewing things like creative again you come with a fresh mind and mm. almost like a, a base level to work from and you're not as influenced by things that you saw yesterday and and that might be playing on your mind so that's just a bit of a plug for go camping it's good fun <laughs> <laughs> definitely get out get outside <laughs> and hope that's a that's a lovely message for us to to leave you guys with is if anything it's um yeah, get outside and either enjoy the flamingos from David Attenborough series or <laughs> hopefully, more importantly, disconnect. And um, yeah, go for a swim and go for a run. Nice one. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, please leave us a, uh, a comment um, uh, and, and a review. We'd love to hear from you and also how we can help improve our awesome community. Yeah, exactly. Feedback's a gift, so really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.